It looks like we have 10 ratings. One star. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's just ratings with no written reviews. You must just be able to give it stars without any writing. So we can cut that part. That's boring. I was hoping there'd be something interesting to read about. Oh, yeah. Uh, We could make up something, but we could afterwards, like, add a fraudulent review (laughs) just for laughs. (laughs) The food arrived cold (laughs) and my (laughs) drink was too sweet. We got a review like that at Harvest at our, on our Google one time. It was like the lowest review we had on Google. And I was like, what is this? What are they going to say? And I'm like, go to look at it. And it's like about a restaurant. <laughs> All right, Paul, what are we talking about today? So I wanted to talk about preaching today. I just concluded my practice and theology of preaching class. Practice and so. theology of preaching known as Petop. Yeah, so we're all very familiar with preaching and sermons. In fact, I was looking it up today, trying to think about how many sermons I've heard in my lifetime. After doing some calculations, it appears that I have lived 9,985 days thus far. And so just looking at the Sundays, then that would be about 2,853 sermons. But often... For most of my life, I was hearing sermons at least twice a week. So, and then when you add chapels and stuff, I'm guessing that I'm approaching 6,000 sermons in my lifetime. And you're the youngest of the three of us. Right. So we've all heard several sermons, and pretty much most Christians have heard a lot of sermons in their lifetime. I just heard one yesterday, was the most recent. I guess I heard two, one in the morning, one at youth group. How long does it have to be to count? Oh, to count as a sermon? Yeah. (laughs) Rather than a devotional. Now we're getting into the practice of preaching. I guess that's, yeah, part of what we'll get into. The the pop, pop. (laughs) No, the pop, just the pop. (laughs) Yeah, the practice of, oh yeah, yeah, the pop. Okay. Before we get into those questions, though, we've also all preached some sermons. What was the uh, first sermon you guys ever preached? I, I preached like a sermon with one other student in youth group when I was, I think, 11th grade or maybe 12th grade. Hmm. Basically like a purity talk for the guys. So it was me and another senior. Really? That's a interesting first topic. Yeah. yeah. Fairly Stepping tough. right into the deep end. But I guess that's a good thing to have coming from peers. Well, mine was on the verse about women respecting their husbands. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, every time I've preached, it's been on that verse. <laughs> Can't get enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, what was your actual first sermon, Daniel? I guess it would have been when the church was first trying to get its, what would you call, like young adult kind of college age ministry off the ground. The guy who was in charge of running it and starting it, like right after we started, I was, I mean, we started off with kind of the idea that I'm in it to help him. But then almost right off the bat, his child started having all kinds of serious health issues and they had to be out of town and all this stuff. Hmm. So I guess that was why, or it may have just been because I'm there to kind of help him and not make it so that it's just like the same thing as youth group. Anyway, uh, Hmm. for... Both of those reasons, I suppose, I end up doing some kind of leading teaching type stuff in that group. I don't remember ever really preaching on stage type speaking before that. Do you remember what the first sermon you did for that was? Well, the first was like kind of testimonial. Mm, that's probably uh, common. Yeah, that's the mm. easiest thing, especially when you're not that experienced. I mean, that's the easiest thing to talk about is how how my mm-hmm. faith journey has been. Well, that sounds like a real like sanitized expression. My uh, <laughs> <laughs> walk with God has has come about and and continued. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that is probably for someone who's not trained or anything. That's probably one of the main ways to mm-hmm. start. So I did that, but then you can't keep doing that over and over. And as it opened up. Or like, <laughs> as it became about that, I had to keep keep uh, leading. Here's Daniel's testimony again. <laughs> so I had to keep uh, coming up with things for that reason. And then um, 
when I was in India, I had to do like legit mm-hmm. in the church Sunday morning preaching, which was the main, almost the only time I've done that until I came here. And I've, and I had to do that here a couple of times um, in a smaller setting. Cool. What about you, Paul? So I probably did some like shorter, what we would call maybe like a devotional in youth group. But the first time I feel like I really put together a sermon was for the youth group I work with up here in Kentucky. And it was in 2019 and they were they were going on a fall retreat. The theme of the retreat was uh, getting to know God's voice and how to hear God. And so my topic was essentially like how to deal with silence when you feel like you're not hearing anything. Yeah, so I put together a message about that, and there were some resources, and the the main Bible passage was pre-assigned. Um, I took a few things from a message you had recently done, Joel, about choosing to trust. But yeah, that was so. That was the first time I feel like it was in a more official context of uh, what I would consider preaching. Great. So interesting that even now this has kind of come up of what is preaching, this distinction between like how long does it have to be in some of these aspects. And that's one of the things I wanted to touch on today is because we've all heard so many sermons, but I think very few of us, and when I say us, I mean Christians, have really thought about what is preaching or what is a sermon. Teaching or preaching or devotional. Right. Yeah. So we've we've talked about length. Is there something to how long it has to be? Uh, I think what you just said, Daniel, is an interesting point. What distinguishes preaching from teaching? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would say the popular perspective has to do with like an emotional connection. A lot of times mm. people think of I don't know if this is necessarily correct, but just the way people think of it or identify with it is that teaching is less emotionally driven and it's more informationally driven. Mm-hmm. where preaching is more uh, compelling people to do something or to act in a certain way mm-hmm. that's beyond uh, information. A call to action. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. One interesting distinguisher that I we talked about a bit in the class is preaching being more invitational and exhortation. So invitation and exhortation with preaching and teaching being explanation and explication. but both being centered around biblical and theological truths. The the final paper in our course was to write out our theology of preaching. And I think when you get into these theologically grounded ideas of what preaching is, it starts to distinguish it a bit. So I was thinking today I could walk through some of the key aspects that I noted for my theology of preaching, and we could discuss those. Are we going to get back to the length thing at all? Length. 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 Oh, length. Okay. (laughs) So as far as the question about length, that's like super subjective. I feel like that we just kind of feel out what we say. Mm -hmm. Like this is shorter. And so it's just a devotional. Usually Mm -hmm. like a devotional is going to be like one point um, where like sermons are going to be like multiple points. Even if there's like a single main idea, there's multiple like supporting points to like Mm -hmm. pull it together. Um, But it's very subjective. I went to seminary with a guy and I remember talking to him after he was in his first church and he said his normal sermon length was like 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes Whoa. on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We do like 35 to 45 minutes. And even with the, the youth group, I do 30 to 35. Mm. And uh, so it is very subjective, just depending on what your kind of context is. Uh, 15 sounds... I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. It's kind of like, oh, I don't really want to be here. You don't really want to be here. Let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, though, in a lot of more high liturgical churches, the sermon or homily is just a small piece in the whole worship service. And so they're focusing more on maybe like uh, written prayer or liturgy or even the process of taking communion. And whereas a lot of our mainline Protestant churches, the central component of the service is the preaching. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and if they don't even call it a sermon in that case, then 
that kind of lines back up with the length premise or length. No, I should call it the length hypothesis. Just a homily. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so let's jump into a few of these points that I've identified in my personal theology of preaching. This is one of those things that I feel like you could think about and talk about for a long time. And so I've just had to kind of pick and choose some that really jumped out to me and I thought were very important. And then if either of you have anything that comes to your mind that's important for you when it comes to preaching, feel free to share that as well. Essentially, the way I've structured this, though, is I, st I st tried to start really broad and then narrow in to more specifics. So broadly speaking, I believe that preaching um, is of the utmost importance because it enables faith. And so we should proclaim the gospel with boldness. And so essentially, I, I took this from uh, Romans 15 through 17, Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. If somebody wants to read that. What translation shall I use? New Living, New Life, New King James. The message. <laughs> <laughs> so do we actually have a uh, a preference, a preferred in RSV? What's the new translation that's been controversial lately? The new one of those? The Passion Translation. Passion, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, go ahead there, Daniel. Which translation did you choose? I was... Waiting for you guys to tell me which one did you. It shouldn't matter that much. Okay, King James. <laughs> for seminary, I use the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. All right. So, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. All right, and then let's take another take. Let's do another take on that with uh, what, NIV, I guess? NLT. Okay. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. That's what I was looking for, Gentile instead of Greek. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So there you can see some of these key ideas coming out about the importance of proclaiming the gospel with boldness and about the, the element of faith that it brings in as well. And then further developing this idea of the importance of preaching is found in Romans chapter 10, 14 through 17. <clears throat> I got it. NIV. <laughs> how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accept the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Yeah, so there uh, Paul's quoting from Isaiah 52 and talking about the necessity of someone to go and proclaim the word. So when we preach, we're living out those verses and chapters. Okay, so like I said, that's just kind of a broad starting point. Mm -hmm. And then narrowing in a little bit, the second thing that I talked about is that I think the Holy Spirit is the primary actor in both the practice and the outcome of biblical preaching. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, from the start, establish this emphasis on the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of good verses that relate to this. Uh, one that I pointed to is 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. Talking about the Holy Spirit's activity in preaching? Right. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's a pretty good big thing. And counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a as a preacher, there can be that uh, temptation to want to 
put things in a very like wise and novel way and to come across very uh, compelling in that way. Through oratory prowess. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for like communicating well, obviously, right? You want to communicate well Mm -hmm. and you want to communicate effectively so that people, so that it really sticks with people. But I think that it's convicting uh, when it comes to like, Mm -hmm. are you relying on your skill as a communicator and uh, or are you relying on the Holy Spirit? I agree. And this, I think, is really powerfully seen if we track through the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter one, that's where Jesus tells his followers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the world. From the start, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to be the one to empower you um, as you go and and proclaim the gospel. Then in chapter 4, we read about how Peter and John were proclaiming the gospel with boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, and thousands came to faith. So there we're actually seeing this lived out. And then what I think is really interesting is in chapter 10, When Peter is preaching, it says that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So this is cool to me because this engagement of the Holy Spirit in preaching, it's not only on the preacher, but it also affects the listeners. And so basically, yeah, like getting back to this point about human wisdom versus the power of the Holy Spirit, we can trust as preachers that when we proclaim the word, the Holy Spirit will be at work in the lives of those listening as well. Yeah, that verse especially sounds like regardless of the listener's intention or proximity to God, it just, they were affected by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just in my own practice, there's a lot of times I'm preparing a sermon and then at some point in my sermon preparation, I'm like, this doesn't feel good. This just like, mm. this is not a good sermon. It's like not making sense or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to come back to that place of like, okay, this is where I feel like the Lord's led me. Like mm-hmm. I've tried to hear his voice. I've done like my study and I have to like trust that he's been leading the process and yeah. not just not doubt it when I start getting in my head or whatever. That's a really good point. How the Holy Spirit also impacts us as we're doing our preparation. Um, before actually preaching the message. And I want to hit on that more further down. uh, So we'll get back to that. Yeah. I've heard dad say a few times where he's been ready to preach a sermon that maybe he feels doubtful about praying to the Lord. Like if you need me to get up here and look like a fool, that's fine. Like I'm okay with that. If that's Mm -hmm. what you need, if you need to humble me or if you in some way need to work in spite of me and Mm -hmm. I look foolish today. That's really cool. I'm okay with that. I have thought of that. So again, that's the, that like, it's not about me. Yeah. It's not even about like the quality of presentation as much as the result of God's movement. One more verse along the lines of this. And I think encouragement to, to anyone that hasn't done a lot of preaching is Exodus four ten through 12. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your, pardon your servant, Lord. No, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that doesn't fit that doesn't fit Moses (laughs) sorry okay Moses said to the Lord pardon your servant Lord I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant I am slow of speech and tongue the Lord said to him who gave human beings their mouths human beings the new NIV Who made the, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But mm-hmm. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> yeah, so this is interesting. Uh, and as Daniel's alluded to there, um, Moses doesn't necessarily even receive this word from the Lord. He still insists that God send somebody else. And so Aaron ends up helping him speak. But I think this key truth about God being the one that has made our mouths and uh, formed us and being able to speak through us is hugely encouraging. So I just want to mention that uh, as an encouragement to anyone listening that may be doubting their communication. So I don't want to get like too off, I guess. But during COVID times, I was um, supposed to be preaching for our smaller group uh, every 
other Sunday. And there, I definitely felt like it was getting kind of diminishing returns over time. Not entirely. There were some where it went better than others. But um, so what would you say if you're in a situation where you feel like, hmm, I am not confident that this is what God's giving me. It's just like what I'm trying to get. So I have something and the deadline's here Mm. and I can't really change course now. And like, I felt like there were several times where it was like that, where I was like, I don't, I think I just did this on my own, like trying to force it through, not really in conjunction with the Holy spirit or through like in obedience to the Holy spirit, just, I just did it because I have to do it and I have to have something to say and I can't say nothing. Mm-hmm. What can mm-hmm. be done? There's really yeah. nothing to do about that, right? One thing that comes to mind with that, I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important to have your sermons based in scripture. Because if you're opening with scripture and you're discussing how the God was at work in the passage and if you're if you're directly preaching from scripture then even if you are less sure about it there's still a, a confidence and a value in the word of god yeah, and like a foundation right right and i think the the holy spirit essentially always works through scripture so that's just one thought but that's a good question yeah i think that's a good point because then you're even if you're like well i don't know that this is where the Holy Spirit wanted me. It's like, I'm still presenting the, you know, scripture and teaching and preaching off of the scripture. And so that's going to be healthy for people either way. Mm-hmm. You have to do some of your own talking. You can't just read the scripture and be like, okay, so we'll reflect on this this week. We had a preacher one time who probably 60% of his message was just reading the Bible. Hmm. I feel like there should be some more commentary on this. <laughs> some more like application and <laughs> explanation, hmm. not just like reading it. But then it's like, well, at least I'm getting the Bible. So that's good, too. Uh, The other thing I would say as far as like feeling like you're going in the wrong direction or feeling like maybe it's been out of your own effort. Like, I think it's important to note that that's a possibility just because we're preaching and we like want to be led by the Holy Spirit doesn't always mean that we are being. It can be the sort of thing Mm -hmm. where you just muscle through with your own own designs. Yeah. And I think when you recognize that there needs to be like repentance and then it's like, it's a lot of trusting the Lord and asking him to like do what he will with the people. And so for me, for example, it's like, all right, God, I've got 150 youth coming tonight and you want to speak to them. Like, I believe that you want to speak to them. And so I need you to reveal to me if there's something you want me to say, something different you want me to, to preach or else use what I already have like and empower it with your Holy Spirit, even though maybe it wasn't the way you were Mm. directing me. And again, like relying on God's desire to speak to his people. And there's been times where, I mean, even honestly, even last Wednesday during worship, I was like, I think I might should preach about something different. And so I'm like Mm. thinking about it during worship about like changing the message and just talking about basically like the infilling of the Holy Spirit instead of what I had prepared. One final point on this Holy Spirit emphasis is Joel alluded to this a little bit, but it's this idea that as the preacher, you're you're still um, you still need to present the word with excellence, and uh, there's still this responsibility on you to uh, do your best and be responsible in your preparation and your work. And so I pointed to uh, James three one, which is the verse that talks about uh, not many of you should become teachers because you'll be judged with a greater strictness. So I just wanted to kind of end with that, that we do rely on the Holy Spirit, but there's also this obligation for us to preach with excellence and to, uh, to do our best. Yeah. There is that pushback against like seminary education or like, yes, that sort of intellectual training for preaching. People are like, just let the Holy Spirit lead you. If he's called you to be a preacher, just like go preach. You don't have to spend four years of your life in seminary. Like, you know, let the, let the Lord just equip you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do both. How about I'm going <laughs> mm-hmm. to prepare my prepare as well as I can and then right. let the Holy Spirit lead me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I think that's very important. Just <laughs> Malachi. <laughs> I can't. Hey, what's wrong? You can't turn it off.
the next thing that I had here is the belief that preaching is, in most cases, an act of corporate worship. And so I think uh, this one's really important, that typically preaching is not an isolated event performed by one person, but it involves an entire church, and it's positioned within a larger worship context. And I I think, too, this gets to the, the point that preaching then is not primarily about teaching or entertainment, but it's chiefly about bringing glory and praise to God. And so it really is an an act of worship along with singing or communion or prayer or these other things we do as the body of Christ. Most of the time, there needs to be some type of response to the word. I know Joel has talked about this, um, which is different with like a teaching. Usually you just end it and, and move on. But with uh, preaching, I think uh, there needs to be either an altar call, a communion, a worship song, maybe silent contemplative prayer, some way that you're responding to the word of God that's been proclaimed. Mm-hmm. And I think this also highlights the fact that regular church attendance is not primarily about one's personal growth or even community, but it's about the body of Christ coming together to worship God. And I think this is an important perspective because I've I've had people that have told me that they don't get community from church or they're not being fed. And those are important aspects, but I think at its core, the church gathering is about the body of Christ coming to praise and worship God together. That is a great mm-hmm. point because I think back to my six months period living uh outside of Atlanta and how difficult it was to fate to like settle on a church. And I, I wanted community, but of course I didn't, Mm. I also wanted good teaching. And yeah, in the end I kind of felt like it was hard to get both, (laughs) but that, but those were basically the only two factors I was thinking of for the most part is I want, I want a place where I can make friends, have a community, feel Mm -hmm. like connected but I also want to really, uh, I don't know, enjoy doesn't sound like a great Christian-y word, but where I can enjoy and get a lot out of the sermons. Yeah, I think those are important things, but uh, we can get self-focused about church. Yeah, when that's a little too primary, consumerist, primary. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, one interesting thing that kind of came up out of this is the idea of where, so this is a very practical thing, but where does the preacher come from? when they're going up to give their message. Mm -hmm. Are they sitting with the congregation and they go up or do they come from backstage? Or from sitting on stage. Or from sitting on the stage already, yeah. Right. So what has now become kind of a personal- proceed down the aisle like a bride. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah, all kind of options here. So what's sort of become a personal conviction for me as a result of this class is that the preacher should come from sitting with the rest of the congregation up to give the word. And I think that communicates that they are part of the body, uh, part of the body of believers that's going up to preach rather than sort of the disconnect that maybe comes if they just appear from backstage. And are they, where are they after the sermon too? Like, are they available to be approached by the people afterward or are they just gone again? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think pretty much everything in our worship service can be thought through like that. Yeah, we get into some of that stuff with our pastoral staff meetings. Yeah. And you can definitely, at some times, people are like, okay, this does not matter. Like, let's move on, you know? And it's like, you're right. It's not that big a deal. It'll be fine either way. But, like, this is the context we're supposed to think through these things. Like, in Mm -hmm. our pastoral staff meetings, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to think deeply about what everything we're doing communicates and if it communicates Mm -hmm. things correctly. I think that kind of stuff is, I mean... Yeah, I get what you're saying, not to uh, make a mountain out of every molehill, but I think these sorts of little things are really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So moving right yeah, along. Just thinking about all the things that we normally don't. Okay, yes, let's move right along. Just as a quick recap then. So we've talked about just the general importance and significance of proclaiming the word with boldness. We looked at the scriptures talked about the involvement of the Holy Spirit, and then we've talked about preaching as an act of worship. And so this fourth thing is 
more personal to me. We didn't discuss this very much in class, but it's that I believe preaching necessarily involves the proclamation of kingdom truths. So I think just speaking truth over the congregation is a big aspect of, of uh, preaching. A lot of this is just that this is one of the things I've observed that is so healthy and significant about the uh, dad sermons at Harvest Church is that it's reforming the community to be aligned with kingdom values mm-hmm. and instead of the way that the culture tries to influence us week to week. My interpretation of what you're saying is like the value of kind of recalibrating or yeah, so that's the word in my paper. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) as a preacher, you're recalibrating the hearts and minds of the hearers and then helping to shape them more and more into the image of Christ. Well then I'm glad to hear. I uh, have understood your point. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's, um, that's something I'm, I'm passionate about. Okay, now, all those, like I said, were kind of like broad aspects of of preaching. Now we're getting a little bit more specific into the content of a sermon. And so when it comes to preparing for a sermon, I think there are two starting points that tend to be best with this. So first, uh, you may feel that God is leading you to preach on a specific passage of Scripture. Or second, you may feel that God is leading you to address a specific topic. And then in that case, what you should do is go to the scripture and search for what it teaches about that topic. So either way here, scripture is key. But one, you're starting with a verse and just seeing what God shows you from it. The other, you feel like there's a topic that needs to be addressed, studying what scripture teaches on that topic. And both of these, I think, are substantiated by 2 Timothy 3.16. Somebody wants to read that one real quick. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So yeah, either of these approaches, scripture is fundamental. And I know I've heard you, Joel, talk about these different approaches with your own sermon planning. I'll like think through either a book or passages um, that I want to preach on for the youth. And then I'll also think of topics that I want to cover. So it's like, all right, so going into this new year, is there a specific book I want to focus on? And so then I'll like pray and like think about that and be like, maybe I'll do, you know, a book series on like Genesis or something like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Or like this fall I did a Romans. And so that gives me, you know, a solid four or five weeks of like direction because I'm knowing I'm going to focus on the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. But then I'll also be like, are there any specific topics that we want to hit? Yeah. That I feel like the students need to hear, you know, a lot of students, they don't have a good concept of like the good things that God has in store for them. Mm -hmm. Like basically the benefit of like choosing God fully. Mm -hmm. So then we did a series that was like a more like topically focused series that we called beauty for ashes. And each week we talked about like, something that God wants to offer you in exchange for something that's like broken. Mm. Right. So we talked Mm -hmm. about like, um, you know, like restoration versus shame or like clarity versus confusion, like these things that God like wants to give us. Yeah. For me, I do get kind of more stressed out if I'm like week by week Mm -hmm. trying to just determine like, okay, what am I going to preach on this week? It can make it a lot more like stressful um, rather than try to, spend some time with like, all right, like a strategically thinking, what do we need to hear? What do, do these youth need to hear? And giving myself some like, I guess, space to be thinking about those things besides mm-hmm. just like the week mm-hmm. leading up to it. So I have like a yeah. couple times of focusing on the same topic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's this idea sometimes that if you plan out your sermon months in advance, then you're not following the Holy Spirit because you're, you're planning it. And so you're not just going to be going where he prompts you. But this, a breakthrough for me is realizing that the Holy Spirit can work in our planning. And so the Holy Spirit can direct five months in advance. And what's really yeah, cool about that too. Just as easily too, as five minutes. Right, yeah. yeah I was just yeah. thinking that's interesting that people feel like the Holy Spirit is only spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Right. 
It's kind of the way I've always thought until talking through some of this in the course. Sometimes there's even greater opportunity for God to get the glory when it's done in advance, because it, it just emphasizes all the more that, that he knew what needed to happen then. I even saw that a little bit practically this fall where for this course, we had to pick out all of our topics at the beginning. So I was I was knew I was going to preach on John 6, which is Jesus being the bread of life. And so then I very unexpectedly went to Ukraine and was doing some work there during the war. And I was covering a, a service that a, one of the Billy Graham chaplains was holding and he was teaching people about the through the Bible. And then after he was finishing, he left, came back with a big bag that was just full of loaves of bread, like the iconic loaf, and started passing them out to all the people that had gathered there. I was like, wow, what an awesome illustration of this idea of Jesus being the bread of life. And uh, I was able to incorporate that into my sermon because I you know, had this on my mind and heart before I even was really prepping for the sermon. Two things I would say about those things is that, um, like there's not one correct, like one's not better than the other. Mm. Um, you really need both. I think like when you're starting with the scripture, you're looking at a scripture and then seeing what topic you feel the Lord calling you to preach out from that scripture. Mm-hmm. So you're still like finding a topic. It's just yeah. starting a topic from that scripture. And then, if you start topically, you're going to be given a more, in general, you're going to be giving a broader, like, biblical perspective. Yeah. Like, how do we think biblically about this subject? One of the most helpful things that I took away from this course is the idea of establishing what we called a focus and a function. You know, the focus would just be a one sentence that says, this is the main thing that I'm talking about in this sermon. And then your function would be basically that focus, but incorporating how do I want this sermon to impact the people that are listening to it? So for me, what I found is that if I have those two things in place, it helps me tremendously as I'm organizing the specific content of the message. Yeah, I come back to that a lot of times in my sermon prep if I feel like I'm starting to get lost or scattered. Mm-hmm. Like just come back. Okay. What is the main thing that I want to communicate? Mm-hmm. And then what's the main thing that I want the people to get out of this? Yeah. So like second Timothy four two, Paul tells Timothy convince, rebuke, exhort. So those are, those could be three different functions. And then in Hebrews ten twenty five it says, encourage one another. Um, so those are different ideas of what could be your primary, primary function. So in the sermon, am I, do I feel like God is leading me to convince or challenge the congregation? Or do I think that this sermon is primarily about encouragement and encouraging the people of God? And most sermons you're doing all those things. Right. To some extent. some parts, right? So there's going to be some parts where you're kind of like challenging people. There's going to be some parts that you're doing more encouragement or correction or whatever, like in in one sermon. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it is good to kind of, have, obviously, what you're saying, have a central focus. I think some um, some and, preachers uh, lack on the <laughs> encouragement part. Yeah, I, have, <laughs> I mean, some preachers lack on all. Some people preachers mm-hmm. lack on re- rebuke. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or convince. I guess well, it wasn't a very convincing sermon. You know, you could say, okay, if the if the audience only remembers one thing from this sermon, mm-hmm. what do I want that to be? Uh, you hear preachers say that a lot. If you only remember one thing from today, yeah. remember this. Uh, but I do think it's helpful. Or, or even like um, if somebody listening to my sermon was talking to a friend the next day and the friend said, oh, how was church? What did the pastor preach on? What do I want them to answer? Hmm, that's a good point. I, and I think what where this has been perhaps most helpful for me is when I'm incorporating illustrations and humor. It helps me to make sure that those stories I'm bringing in are actually on point mm-hmm. to what I'm trying to do in the sermon. Serve the purpose and not just be like, oh, I don't remember his point, but he told this great story. Right, it. right. <laughs> yeah, so this gets to my next point, which is that I believe a sermon should be engaging and easy to listen to. And a big part of that is this incorporating illustrations and humor mm-hmm. to drive home these eternal truths. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the biggest things that I see with new 
preachers is that often they just go kind of point by point with good insights, mm-hmm. but that's all it is. It's just da 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 da. And so it's really, really easy to lose focus. Yeah. And I, I and so it gets a little boring. And I don't think <sighs> that God is boring. And so I don't think our preaching should be boring. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the two primary ways that God has revealed himself, we think about scripture, which is largely engaging, entertaining stories. And then we think about the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus was on earth, a big part of his ministry was Mm -hmm. storytelling. He used parables to convey eternal truths. And so I think that we as preachers should not shy away from the importance of telling good stories as long as we have this focus and function in place to help us from, from like Daniel was saying, just talking about random stories that don't apply to what we feel like God is trying to do through us. Yeah. Often those are the, well, most probably most of the time, those are the things that people remember first of all. Yeah. Or other, uh, the other option could be if there's a particular profound concept that I hadn't considered before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully when people are remembering the illustration, then it's causing them to remember the main substantial point or the profound point too. Mm -hmm. Right. So Paul talks about this a good bit. He talks about our words should be seasoned with salt, Mm -hmm. right? He talks about being all things to all people in order to win them for Christ. And I love the example in Acts 17 where Paul uses the idol to the unknown Mm -hmm. God as a way to connect with the people of Athens. And so, you know, we see that Paul's message was engaging and entertaining. Now, all those examples are... Paul communicating with non-believers. And so that gets into this point too of um, audience when preaching. Who are we preaching to? And so I believe in most cases that preachers need to engage both believers and non-believers when they preach. I agree, especially in our uh, context, because in the American context, most preaching, you're going to have mixed uh, Mm -hmm. mixed company Mm -hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it's healthy to have mixed company like that, I would say. I don't think the ideal. Some people have that mentality that church should primarily just be for believers. Right. And I think that mm-hmm. that's missing out on a lot of the benefit that we have in America, that we've fostered a culture of non-believers coming to church, which is a really good thing. And you have churches go the other way that are yes. totally focused toward non-Christians. Yep. Sunday morning is really just for the non-Christians. and Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think both of those extremes miss an aspect of what preaching can be. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, when preparing a sermon, it's best to primarily address believers, but you need to have a continual awareness and sensitivity toward non-believing hearers. Mm-hmm. And as dad was saying the other day when, when Riley and I were talking with dad about this, he was saying most of the time that uh, in, in most cases, if the preacher is challenging or encouraging the church to be the church, and it's understandable and engaging, then non-believers in the room will also, through the work of the Holy Spirit, be challenged and engaged by that as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, I usually, one thing, I usually try to go back through my sermon when I'm mostly done with it and just think, okay, if I if this was coming at somebody who's not a Christian, is there anything I would need to add or clarify mm-hmm. um, just to keep them in mind? But it's definitely not the driving force. Yeah, I think also, well... I don't know. This is just a thought that has come to me at the moment. But I would wager that most people who are not believers and attending church are not really going for like a sales pitch of why they should believe as much as they want to see mm-hmm. what the faith is like mm-hmm. and what the people do. And yeah, so if everyone like if it's all about this big sort of push for like, here's why you should join us. That's a good point then I feel like it comes across as more of just like a sales pitch than, mm-hmm. okay, you join and then what? And then, then all you do is focus on making someone else join. Right. Yeah. That's good. Uh, the final thing that I would say here is that, um, and, and actually we already touched on this a bit, but just the belief that a sermon should be followed by a time of response. We mentioned that. Um, but to this point about who you're preaching to, I think the the response should 
incorporate a clear invitation for non-believers, you know, a recognition of the non-believers to surrender their life for the Lord and, and an invitation for them, and also an application for the believers. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I don't think that means that every sermon has to come to a point of sharing the salvation message. Right. right. Some people some people feel like that you have to always at the end turn your sermon to like a salvation message. Here it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's always the case. But actually, like just using dad as an example again, often he'll just in his response say, now you may be here and you've realized that you need to give your life to the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just that's the call to the unbeliever. Like that's a very simple but effective way to to address that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm a big believer and everybody needs to respond to the sermon. Yeah. And we always need to give a response. So even if you feel like the sermon wasn't necessarily like super impactful to you, you still need to respond to it in some way, just mm-hmm. in your heart. Like, God, I receive what you're saying to me. Um, I receive the truth of your word mm-hmm. and uh, ask that you would allow it to take freedom. That's a heart. good point to have that kind of active listening and not just gauge whether or not uh, does today apply to me or not. And right. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, yourself. this last sermon I preached, I was going through Isaiah 35 and it talks about like the highway of holiness that leads to everlasting joy. And it's this image of, of new creation. And the main function of my sermon was to encourage believers with the image of everlasting joy that will be ours in new creation. So then toward the end of the message, I basically just said, now some of you like may not even be on this highway of holiness yet. Like, I encourage you to make the decision today to accept Jesus and start this journey. And then I went back to addressing the believers. So like Joel saying, it doesn't have to be the gospel message every time, but there's this, this awareness. Yeah. If, if any non-believer responds, then there's time to make sure they understand the, the gospel and the, yeah, the ramifications of what they're being asked to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Good. Well, any other thoughts on that? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's good. I mean, anybody starting preaching, a lot of it is practice. Like you get used to preaching and you get better at it. So, Mm -hmm. well, I think my experience thus far has been, I don't have a problem with public speaking really. So that side of things is not an issue for me, but I do tend to feel like after 10 times with the same people, I kind of feel like, well, that's kind of tapped me out of my life's worth of spiritual insights. <laughs> then I start feeling sort of like, oh, well, I've pretty much offered what I have. A lot of that's just like thinking through like all the, you know, scripture that there is to like <laughs> teach on and preach on. And then all the different like awesome topics that people could hear, you know, like how many sermons could I do on prayer? Like all these different types of prayer. And so I think like just removing it from what is think my you got a specific clock in your room there with you, Joel. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. Timer. This is uh, Malachi's my timer. My uh. <laughs> yeah. You gonna say hello? No, he's just gonna wait. Malachi has entered the chat. Hi. <laughs> Malachi, so, what do you think about preaching? No. Do you think you could preach? No. What is preaching? Talking. Talking about what? God. Yeah, well, I think good. that pretty much sums it up. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Joel was saying that he oh, has yeah. lots to preach about. Well, just take, for example, like if you did one sermon on each book of the Bible, that would be 66 sermons. That's a lot to start with, you know? <laughs> well, let me conclude with my summary paragraph here on these thoughts of what it means to preach, the theology, my personal theology of preaching. Oh, what? This is your own quote? Yeah. Okay. So in summary, I believe that the proclamation of the word with boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit is a high calling that enables and strengthens faith. I think preaching is an act of worship situated within a broader service, which acts as a shield against our culture's impact on us, and it aids in rightly ordering the loves of the hearers. I believe scripture is the foundation for every sermon, and the content should be broadly centered around the character of God. From that starting point, the content grows more specific as I discern a particular focus and function, 
which will serve as a guide as I incorporate illustrations and humor to facilitate engagement. I think the message should conclude with a time of response, often centered around an application to believers and an invitation to non-believers. So with this theology of preaching in mind, uh, I pray that God will use us to boldly proclaim with truth and humility um, and that our sermons will bear much fruit and that through them, God will be glorified and worshiped. Welcome to the post-show commentary uh, corner. No, not corner. What should we call this? It's not our post-show commentary segment. Paul, glad to have you. Special guests. I'm here for Daniel's post-show. Before we started my segment, um, I believe you were expressing some consternation over mm. um, the pacing yeah. of mm-hmm. this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not that we want to necessarily be pointing out uh, areas of criticism to our listeners. <laughs> right. It might leave us only four star reviews. <laughs> yeah, there's some great three star review ideas here <laughs> for our listeners. Absolutely, though. I mean, we started off strong, but we spent a lot of time on that Holy Spirit point. And too much time on the Holy Spirit, oh. says Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Got my headliner. <laughs> What else do you do in this post segment? Oh, it's always very short. This is the longest one so far. (laughs) (laughs) I try to tap into the mind of the listeners and see what they and and guess what they may be thinking after having Mm. listened to the episode. Okay. So what do you think they're thinking? Well, those guys kind of made it sound like just it's the most normal thing in the world to preach and that everybody, every Christian is going around preaching, but I've never preached in my life. I've never even considered myself in contention for preaching. Mm. What would you say to those types of people? Would you say they're wrong or would you say they're right? I'm glad you asked because the introduction to my paper, which we skipped over in this episode, says in some sense, all who follow Jesus Christ have been called to proclaim the gospel. Jesus commissioned his followers in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, which involves a level of evangelism and teaching. And yet, I think God calls and equips some to uniquely serve him through the singular act of preaching. That's probably what I'd tell him. (laughs) Great. Well, (laughs) I'm glad you had a ready-made response. Um, Uh As an aside to my regular listeners here, I would say that was a little too prepared, kind of a canned answer. (laughs) 